Three, two, one. Welcome to the Dave of the Dog Trainer Podcast, episode 141. Today we're being joined by Rich Horswell. Let's go ahead and get him on. Look at that background. I got to get a background picture like that. I like it. Some big fluffy Pyrenees. I like this coffee mug. You like that? Yeah, Fresh from Germany. Oh, yeah? Hear something. Hello, Miracle Canine. <laughs> hey, Rich, how are you? Good. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. I don't see you. I don't know if you got to turn your camera on or not. Still. I don't know. I see you guys. Yeah. I see. Yeah. I see your background picture. Um, Recording in progress. But you might need to turn your camera on still. This meeting is being recorded. Got it. Generally, the in the bottom left corner of your screen, you should see something that says uh, there's an audio one and then a video one. And if you hit the video one, it will should allow you to turn your camera on. I'm not seeing anything. Hmm. You don't uh, you don't see in the in the bottom left corner something that says video. No, I'm, I'm on an iPhone. Oh, you're on your phone. Yeah. I'm not sure where it's at on the phone. Uh, I did this with uh, that Robert Hines guy a couple of weeks ago, and it worked fine. Yeah. Did you guys do it via Zoom? Yeah. Hmm. you have your Zoom app, Josh? I just got to see where the actual uh, button is. Oh, wait a minute. There we go. You got hey. it. There we go. Beautiful. I'm old, so I'm really bad with technology. Sorry. That's all right. You're fine. Oh, look at that. You got a little LED sign back there as well. I like it. Yeah. Beautiful. Rich, Rich how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Not too Doing shabby. Great. How's Florida? Oh, it's nice and warm. Yeah. You know? We're getting pretty cold here. It's it a, freezing in Cleveland. Yeah, it's a rainy, gloomy day right now. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Got a lot of friends in Cleveland. Oh, yeah? You been up here yeah. before? Yeah, I was there about ten years ago for a buddy's fiftieth birthday. Nice. Last nice. time I, I haven't spent much time there, but um, yeah, so you better be nice to me because I know people. <laughs> <laughs> I like They're, it. They all used to be wrestlers, so they could you know, they could beat oh, you up. Man. <laughs> we'll we'll try to stay on your good graces. Yes, but I think they're scared of dogs, so you might be safe if you got dogs around. <laughs> awesome. Well, listen, Rich, I know we've uh, we've interacted back and forth a handful of times just in the comments section, uh, obviously on YouTube videos right. and stuff. Um, you know, it looks like you've been training dogs for a while. So let's go ahead and start off. Uh, just kind of give us a little background on yourself. I mean, you know, what's what's sure. your training background and stuff like that? Yeah, well, I, I like to say I've been working with uh, pet dogs for about 50 years, but most of that's not uh, as a professional dog trainer. Um, I've done some of that off and on and uh, worked for other people, but... Um, the, um, yeah, I think the way I, I really started working with pet dogs, uh, believe it or not, was probably around 1980. I was in college and I was selling, I got a summer job selling encyclopedias door to door. <laughs> and I quickly realized I could, you know, every young couple that I would present the pitch to would, you know, have a dog. 
and none of them had control of their dogs. And I couldn't do my hour and a half sales presentation with posters all over the living room. Sure. But the dog running around going crazy because, you know, they wouldn't listen to you. You couldn't make a sale. Yeah. So I don't know exactly how I did it. I don't, don't even remember how I came up with it. But I somehow figured out this, you know, necessity being the mother of invention, how to control other people's dogs in about two two minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I'd walk in, I'd, total stranger. They didn't know I was coming. I was just knocking on their door, door cold. And uh, they've had the dog for five years and have no control over it. And in about two minutes, I'd have control of the dog so I could do my pitch. So that's, um, and that was about 20 years before Cesar Milan got on TV and started talking about no touch, no talk, no eye contact. Yep. <laughs> but uh, it, it works. Yeah. You know? Was that kind of some of the, like, what so, sorts of things did you do, uh, if you recall, like when you were going in to, to help make that more manageable, the situation? Well, that's exactly what I did. I ignored the dog. Yep. In other words, uh, at some point I realized that if I if I didn't acknowledge the dog, and whether you call this, you know, alpha behavior or whatever you want to call it, but I've noticed whether it be with dogs or a wolf pack or whatever, or even like my wife, who's the alpha in our house, <laughs> and my, well, you know, I'm talking about with the dog. Sure, yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> the, our 140-pound Great Pyrenees. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they watch you. You don't watch them. If you want, if you want to be the leader, sure. You just do your thing, and they'll follow you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at the dog, you're not the leader. And that's the same thing with like a pack of wolves or a bunch of dogs. So I would go in and ignore the dog, and it was like I had a force field around myself. That even if the dog came running up to jump on me, he might do that one little jump, but then he'd be. I wouldn't even look at him. I would. I would act like he wasn't even there. Yeah. And um, the dog would be like, oh, this is different. And he'd just go sit down and settle down and be quiet. And I'd do. The, and it was funny because the customers would think I, I didn't like dogs or something because <laughs> I was ignoring their dog. Yeah. And I'd explain, no, this is so we can, you know, you notice he's well-behaved for the first time in his life. This is so we can get through the presentation. And then when I'm done and I'm leaving, I'm going to have a party with your dog. But if I do that now, then we're done. Yeah. You know, the. The force field is broken, and uh, that's the end of my sales pitch. So, yeah, yeah. So that was an interesting thing. I, I grew up with dogs. Um, we had three hundred acres in South Carolina when I was a kid. Mostly hunting dogs, mostly labs. In fact, my first dog I got when I was three years old. Uh, granddaddy gave me a lab puppy. He was a big duck hunter, so we had a lot of black labs. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, by the time I was four, an alligator had eaten it. So that's what happened to my first dog. Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's life on 300 acres, I'm assuming, right? <clears throat> yeah. Well, they like to swim, those black labs, and that's where the alligators are. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the ignoring dog things is such a, such a, <laughs> it's, it's such a wild concept, right? Because it's so simple, right? And it's, it's something anybody can do. And so much of the reason why people struggle with their dogs, I feel like, is because of the associations that they create, right? Whether it's what mm-hmm. happens when people come over, what happens when they take their dog somewhere, when they go out on the walk, all those types of things. We create all these patterns and all these associations um, that just just cause our dogs to get just constantly wired every time they see somebody or anything because they're going to get something out of it, right? Uh, so the sure. second somebody comes into the house. You're always training your dog even when you don't intend to. 
Yeah, so much of it is the things that's happening outside of when you're actually, quote unquote, training the dog. You know what I mean? People get so hung up on the obedience commands and stuff, but it's like, you know, what are you doing when you live with the dog that's causing all these associations to to be that way, you know? so Yeah, I'm happy to hear you say that because that's my whole thing is that, um, you know, I have a, a video I made called Dog Training is Overrated. Sure. Which is a funny thing for a dog trainer to say. Yeah. But... um I, I just feel like it's ignorance. Um, my whole thing is, you know, the reason I'm going to start, or I've, I guess I've already started off grid dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea behind the name is to get your dog off the grid, out of the matrix, and to fight the pet industrial complex. Mm-hmm. Because they make $70 billion a year in this country, maybe more than that. That's an old number, probably, um, from dogs. And, um, they, they sell the lie of convenience. You know, oh, anybody can have a dog. It's very convenient. You, you don't have to train them or walk them or, you know, you can feed them kibble. You know, everything that they sell is based on ignorance. So that's why I kind of had to start my own companies. I don't think any dog trainer that I could find would hire me, which I would much prefer to work for a guy like you and just <laughs> spend my senior years having a good time helping people with their dogs. Sure. I didn't want to start a business. By the way, congratulations. You you seem to be doing very well. Appreciate that. I admire people that can run a small business successfully. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I think I'd get fired right away if I, if I went to work for another dog training company because they wouldn't like my message so much. Yeah. And elaborate on but, that. Like, uh, what do you think? What do you think? Uh, some of the biggest difference between the way that you look at training versus like much of the dog training world or the people you're referring to when you say you think you would get fired right away. And let me, let me preface that with just saying that I understand why you have to sell convenience because if, you know, if you just hit people in the head with the truth, you're not going to have any customers. Sure. But, um, it's sort of like I came up with the thing, out of necessity when I was 20 years old on how to control other people's dogs so I could do a sales pitch. Um, and then 20 years later, I saw this guy on TV named Cesar Milan, the dog whisperer, talking about no touch, no talk, no eye contact. And I said, hey, that that's true. That works. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I came up with a, a thing, um, and I really kind of refined it about seven years ago when my wife got a great peer news. Mm-hmm. I don't know how familiar are with livestock guardians or you train many of those i'm sure you have very familiar we have a pyrenees in right now for a board and train actually <laughs> yeah yeah well um i didn't want one i wanted a, a black lab you sure. know mm-hmm. you're probably you're probably familiar with stony dennis he always says every dog wants to be a lab and every lab wants to be a black lab <laughs> yeah. um but um because you know they're easy they're fun they're, they're just nice dogs sure but um so when, when she got this great Pyrenees, I was like, oh, boy, I better do some research because I wasn't that real familiar with Livestock Guardian. And what I tried to do at the time was figure out how can I arrange, because we don't have a mountain full of sheep for him to guard, which yep. is what they've been bred for thousands of years yep. to do, yeah. is to be left alone with the family's entire net worth under their care and supervision while the shepherd goes home and sleeps, the dog is you know, protecting the sheep and making all of his own decisions, not not working with a human or being told what to do by a human. Yep. So I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be interesting. And so what I tried to do 
since I couldn't provide the dog with what he was bred for thousands of years to do, and I mean literally thousands because it's a primitive breed. They're not like a German Shepherd that was invented a couple hundred years ago. Sure. So their genetics is so much stronger than any dog I've ever seen. And, you know, labs and German Shepherds have strong genetics too, but, sure. you know, nothing like a livestock guardian. Yeah. So I tried to arrange things, just little things I could do so the dog could have a fulfilling life. Um, and I, I could give you lots of examples for things that we do with them, but just one example would be I do the opposite of what most dog trainers will tell you to do. Um, but I can do this because, again, there's no question on who the leader is or who's in charge. If, if I need to be in charge on the walk, if I need him to come back to me and heal, he'll do that. But, but generally, when I take him for a walk, um, I try to let him make all the decisions. Mm -hmm. And if I had a German Shepherd, I wouldn't do that. Sure. Why not? But he's not a German Shepherd. And I feel like it's one of the reasons why we've had zero behavior problems in seven years with it. We got him when he was seven weeks old. Now he's seven years old. Um, you know, you hear about all the behavior problems. They have barking too much and, and all these things. But um, just little things you can do um, so that your dog is, is getting fulfilled and he's not. Basically, it's the opposite of what many people do with their dogs is they drive their dogs crazy. Mm-hmm because the dog doesn't get anything it needs. And um, one of my videos that I made was called, What Are Your Dog's Needs? Because I look around and every pet owner I see is fulfilling almost none of them. And dogs are very forgiving. You don't have to be perfect. If you just meet them halfway, they'll, you know, you'll have a pretty damn good dog. Sure. But when you're not doing anything right and you're doing everything wrong, mm-hmm. it's like I, I said one time, if you had a friend come over to your house and they walked in the door and they said, hello, and your teenager came running out of the bedroom and jumped on them and started scratching them and screaming at them, you probably would think there was a problem. <laughs> like maybe your teenager's sure. got a, you know, an issue yeah. or something. But our dogs do that all the time and it's, oh, that's just the way he is. Yeah, he's just a dog. No, that's not the way. That's the way he is living with you. Yes. Because you've driven him nuts. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, you know, um, so, all these dogs, all they get is excitement and affection. They don't get any yeah, calm so, or any so, leadership or any um, so moving, anything that they need. Yeah. So so moving back to you, you were saying, obviously, you know, on the walk, you give you give the dog quite a bit of ability to make his own decisions, which I, you know, I fully support that, obviously. I'm a big proponent yeah. of, you know, once you have control of your dog, like you said, if you need to get him to come back and heal with you, you have the ability to do so. There's no concerns yeah. that you don't have control over the dog, obviously. But once we've established that control, we want to allow them to be dogs. We want to allow them to make some of their own choices and, you know, enjoy themselves and, and all of that. But you mentioned, obviously, uh, you know, with a German Shepherd, you wouldn't do that, right? So elaborate right. on that. Why would you? Why would you allow, let's say, a um, you know livestock guardian dog, an Anatolian, right, a Pyrenees, something like that, uh, to make more decisions on their own? But you wouldn't allow a German Shepherd to do that. Well, it's not that I wouldn't let the German Shepherd do anything, but um, the reason I would approach a German Shepherd differently than a livestock guardian 
is because if you've ever worked with the two breeds, you realize that they're completely different. Very different. Mentally. Yes. It is completely different. I mean, the German Shepherd is happy as hell. The more commands, more training you do, more obedience, whatever, the German Shepherd loves it. Mm-hmm. When you start trying to do that with a, a Great Pyrenees, um, it's hilarious. You know, they look at you like, um, you want me to do what? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll think about that, and I'll get back to you if I think it's a good idea. Because they already know what to do. Sure. That's what they were bred for thousands of years, to make their own decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just night and day. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and as I developed this, you know, philosophy or whatever you want to call it, of um, it's kind of a holistic approach to um, dog training in that, I, I, once again, I discovered somebody else who had described it better than I do, so I, I steal their description. I'll, I'll give credit, though, where it's due. Sure. Are you familiar with um, a guy named Jay Jack? Yeah. Yeah, I okay. went to one of his seminars a long time ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, by the way, talk about a, a funny guy and an entertaining guy. That's he's a guy a who should have one. He's hilarious. Yeah, he's a character. <laughs> he is. But... Uh, and I don't think he invented this either. And uh, and he's got, I don't know if you know Chad, um, Chad Mackin. Mackin. Yep. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his yep. name right. Yeah, Chad Mackin. I don't think either one of them created this, but they, they may have, or, or they, they got it from somebody else. But you're, are you familiar with the layered stress model? Uh, yes, but uh, go ahead and refresh me a little bit on it. Picturing a volcano. So the layered stress model, this is what I was doing when I started trying to create a life for my great Pyrenees that would allow him to be um, fulfilled and not, uh, I didn't want a 140 pound dog that can kill everybody in the room in 10 seconds, sure. you know, to be walking around half, half insane. Well, I came across this layered stress model. So what it purports is that let's say your wife comes home from work and you've been cooking a meatloaf for her mm-hmm. for dinner and you sit down to eat. And she cuts into her meatloaf, and it's a little bit undercooked, mm-hmm. just a little bit. And she immediately screams, and she throws the meatloaf across the room. <laughs> okay. You're not going to say, um, okay, um, we need to counter-condition this woman. Sure. <laughs> so we're going to show her uncooked meatlo- or undercooked meatloaf and give her bowls of ice cream. Sure. Yeah. So we're going to desensitize her. So we're going to show her meatloaf that's just a little bit undercooked and then a little bit more undercooked. Sure, sure. No, we wouldn't do that. We'd ask her, honey, what the hell is up? What happened today? Yeah. Did your boss fire you? Did you get somebody die? Why are you, you know, crazy? Yeah, yeah. So why do we not do that with dogs? Well, um, this layered stress model basically says that um, there's certain things a dog needs to not be totally stressed out. Let's say that your dog is reactive walking on the leash when it sees another dog walk by. That's the most common thing, right? Sure. So let's say that strange dog walking by is worth 10 points of stress. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the layered stress model uh, diagram, it's like a volcano blowing its stack when it gets to 100 points. So if your dog is walking around with 95 points of stress all the time, because of all the needs are not being met. Yep. It's not going to take much to put him over that 100-point threshold. Yep. And so when he sees that strange dog, even though it's only 10 points of stress, that's going to put him over 100. He's going to blow his stack and freak out. So 
you look at five things, basically. The, the foundation of it is health. Sure. Most of our dogs in America are not healthy. Yep. We feed them kibble. You guys ever seen a documentary called Pet Fooled? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. If somebody watches that documentary, they'll never walk into a, a big chain store and look at dog food the same way again. Sure. It's, it's amazing. Um, but even worse than that, we neuter them. We spay them. So they've lost a big part of their endocrine system just to begin with. And then from there, we probably don't give them enough exercise and so forth. So if a dog's not healthy or anybody's not healthy, mm-hmm. if you and I are not healthy, we're not going to be very well behaved if we're feeling bad all the time. Yep, you're not It's hard to be in a good mood when you're just, it, it causes stress. Being unhealthy causes stress. And then the second thing would be the biological life that the dog is living. Um, you know, if he's a German shepherd, does he have a job? Is yep. he, you know, getting that working, uh, you know, instinct satisfied? Yep. Or if he's a great Pyrenees, is he, um, you know, outside, surveying the landscape all the time yeah um that's what makes my dog happy just sitting out in the yard watching over the neighbor he loves that yeah yeah you know? mm-hmm. um you know whatever things you can do to, to you know people don't walk their dogs this is a huge thing that drives me crazy is that they think the backyard is fine i always say the backyard is a dungeon yeah you know it's the same old smells you're probably letting him, you might go out there and play with him once in a while, but most of the time he's probably out there by himself. Yeah. That's not what dogs were meant to do. Dogs were meant to walk with their pack. Yeah. And they're meant to follow. Basically, most dogs are not dominant leader type dogs. They're meant to follow somebody. So that's why, you know, people that walk their dogs have very well behaved dogs. And I don't mean, you know, people say, oh, yeah, I walk my dog three times a day. How long do you walk him? Ten minutes. That's not a walk. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Ten minutes is like a pee break. It takes about 30 minutes for you and the dog to even, both of you, and it's addictive, because when you get good at it, like I'm in a bad mood if I don't get to walk my dog at least an hour, Sure. you know, every day. That's my favorite hour of the day, because I'm just with my dog, I'm not on my phone, I'm just chilling out and I'm communicating with my dog without saying a word, we don't talk, we just communicate, because dogs don't speak English, and it's so relaxing, it's addictive, you know, but, um, so yeah, um, that's the second layer of the layered stress model is the lifestyle of your dog. Are you giving any of its uh, lifestyle needs being met? Yep. And then the third thing would be, um, what is the third thing? I'm drawing a blank. Oh, the most important thing, probably clarity, you know, how many dogs in America are stressed out because their their owner's yelling at them all the time and the dog has no idea what the owner's talking about? Yep. And the owner's talking to him all the time, so the dog is like, is he just babbling again or is that a command? What am I supposed to do? Yep. There's no clarity. There's no communication. The, the people don't learn how to speak dog and they don't understand the dog doesn't speak English. Yep. So that, of course, stresses you out because we all like to have clarity. You know, mm-hmm. Try taking your wife or your girlfriend to a party and not telling her what kind of a party it is, how everybody else is going to be dressed, mm-hmm. what is she supposed to bring. To say, hey, we're just going to a party. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. She's going to be stressed. She's yes. going to be like, well, how do I drive? I don't know what to do. You know, yeah. uh-huh. She's not going to like it. Dogs are the same way. So they need clarity. They need that communication. 
Yeah. And then the fourth thing is the leash, you know, um, teaching the dog the leash because there's nothing more unnatural for to ask a dog to do leash. than to walk on a leash. Yep. You know, they they walk at five miles an hour. We walk at two miles an hour. Yep. Their social bubble's about a hundred yards, and ours is about a hundred inches. Yep. If somebody's more than five feet away from you, you don't even really try to talk to them. They're too yep. far away, right? Mm-hmm. Dog doesn't look back to see if you're still there until he's about uh, two or three hundred feet away. Yep. So, um, if you you know if you teach the dog and yourself to master the leash. And if your dog gets excited and is happy when he sees the leash come off the wall, um, that's going to lower his stress. And then the fifth thing is the actual trigger. So if you do these four things, if you do all of them, a little, not, not expect anybody to do any of them perfectly, but if you do them a little bit better and your dog, instead of being at 95 points of stress, is only at 60 points of stress, then when you see that strange dog and it's worth 10 points, he's only up to 70, he doesn't even do anything. He yep. just walks on by doesn't react well i think uh like you were just saying it's not that you have to perfect every single one of them i mean that's you know with uh the world we live in the lives we live stuff like that like it's gonna be very very challenging to do but being mindful of those four things and looking at like all right well which one of these can i put a little bit of emphasis into over the next month over the next two months right like health mm-hmm. for example obviously you brought up a lot of uh examples relating to the diets that we're feeding them and all that kind of stuff which are very important you know mm-hmm. um, but one of the ones that i always tell people is just when I see dogs that come in that are overweight, free fed, right, constantly gorging themselves with food, stuff like that, I was equated mm-hmm. to like if you're if you, you know, overeat and you know eat McDonald's and stuff like that every single day of your life for the next three weeks, like you're gonna feel awful. You know, you're not your body's yeah. not designed to work optimally. You know, when you're you're constantly full, right? I always think that there's a degree of you should be a little bit hungry at all times, right? Uh, your body mm-hmm. should be kind of in this mode where you're, you know, if you get back to the biological fulfillment of things, they're they're hunting, you know, in this mindset of I need to work and hunt to try to find my next meal, stuff like that. Uh, and just getting your feeding schedule under control with your dog. There's so many dogs I've seen that have like anxiety issues and stuff that you get them on a good feeding routine. You don't need to forget switching the food and all of that. Just feeding them an appropriate amount of food putting them on a diet, that alone, you notice such a freaking massive change in their behavior. Like dogs that are four years old that act like they're 10 years old suddenly become like puppies again. They have all this energy and they want to romp around and play and and just be dogs, right? That's such a big one. Uh, You know, the biological fulfillment side of things, super, super, super important. Obviously, so many people are getting dogs that um, you know, they just think look cool, like say a German shepherd or, you know, a Pyrenees or whatever it may be. And they have no idea what those dogs are designed to do. And then they live in a box for their entire life, which is, you know, their house. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the walk, right? The walk is important, but arguably the way people walk their dogs, not even from a standpoint of the training or the healing or anything, but just, you know, they do their lap around the neighborhood and then they go back home, whether it's an hour, whether it's 10 minutes, you know, your dog is still Mm -hmm. trapped within the confines of just that neighborhood. Like I think past just going for long walks, I think dogs are designed to explore and see new places. And, you know, one thing Absolutely. I always try to do with Take my them dogs, with you. Yeah. They're, they're pack animals. They want to go with you. Yeah. And, and that's twofold, right? One, it's biologically fulfilling them. It's mentally fulfilling them because they're experiencing new things. And two, you're eliminating this like 
novelty of anywhere outside of the house in the neighborhood is just so new and I don't know how to handle myself in that situation, right? Where the more places you take them, even if it's once a month, you go to a new park or a new neighborhood or something like that to walk around, um, you know, the novelty of that wears off and they're not going to be so overstimulated when you take them into those environments. Um, you know, that's yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's how you get a bulletproof dog is yeah. true socialization, not the wrong kind of socialization. People think it's yeah. meeting every person and every dog that walks by is really the opposite of that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like our dog's never eaten anything cooked in his entire life. Um, but a raw diet, which is what we feed, yeah. um, if, even though it's the healthiest possible diet, it's also too expensive and too difficult and too complicated for the average sure. person to um realistically do yeah but there's a a vet i recommend dr karen becker on youtube you probably heard of her right yep um she has a list of 15 diets for dogs the number one is what we do which is a raw diet the worst diet number 15 is a raw diet done incorrectly Ah. that'll make your dog sick yeah you can't just feed them chicken 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 you gotta gotta add the calcium and you gotta add the variety and all the different supplements do a lot of research Yeah, yeah Um, but in between there, she, she gives people some great alternatives without going to the extreme that most people can't do. Sure. Um, instead of just kibble, which is like one of the worst things. Yeah. And um, I can give you an example of something that I've uh, seen works really well. Even if you're going to keep your dog on kibble, if you reduce it by 25%, mm-hmm. and by the way, never free feed. That's a whole other conversation. Yep. But um, you reduce that kibble 25% and, get, and give them some sardines, some raw eggs, and some blueberries. Mm-hmm. And they did a study of this, and uh, the average dog lived two years longer. Yep. Just by doing that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Even, even though you're still feeding them kibble. Yeah. But, um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, I think that's huge. Just kibble alone is so so bad but yeah yeah i mean every single one of these is very important right then you get into clarity right i tell people this all the time like anytime we see dogs like we're working with the dog and let's say the dog starts getting a little stressed out from something nine out of ten times it has nothing to do with the motivator or the punisher that you're using it has to do with the fact that they just don't understand what it is we're asking them to do you know you eliminate all those types of things and it's like well the way you ask this in this moment is completely different than right after that, which was completely different than right after that, which is completely different than right after that. The consistency is one of the best ways to get the clarity. Yeah, the the expectation is obviously constantly changing, right? And then leashes, yeah, I mean, obviously leashes, fences, any sort of barriers, stuff like that. Those are just completely foreign man-made things dogs do not Mm -hmm. understand, uh, and um, they could they could pose a lot of issues. So getting back to um, you know what we were, how we kind of started this conversation a little bit. You know we were talking about the Great Pyrenees, the German Shepherd. Um, you know it's interesting. You were saying you know German Shepherds, right? What they're designed for? They like working, right? They want to be uh, responding to you and, and and functioning and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that breed is very interesting because we see. I would say German Shepherd is probably the number two breed that we have come in with like really serious behavioral issues. Right behind, mm-hmm. right behind pit bulls, only because there's so many pit bulls here. I think that's the reason why that one's compounded so much. Um, sure, yeah, they're but, so popular. Yeah, but German Shepherds is is right behind it um, with with the the biggest issues I see, and it's interesting because 
I think a lot of times we look at German Shepherds and we think this dog needs a job, right? We need to get it, you mm-hmm. know, again, working. We need to get it into scent detection work or agility or, or whatever it, it winds up being to try to kind of like biologically fulfill them a little bit. Where I find sometimes it kind of shoots you in the foot a little bit where the more you're cooping up the dog through doing all these types of things, getting the dog working in a way where it's like everything is done in a very controlled fashion. You know what I mean? Because they're constantly working and they don't ever get that ability to go off and learn how to properly make their own decisions and just kind of let loose with things that that can Mm -hmm. cause massive, massive problems where some of the best turnarounds that we have with German shepherds that we find is when we could again, establish that control initially and then allow them to be free, make their own decisions and just learn proper behavior outside of all of the control. Does that make sense? Absolutely. One thing that drives me nuts is, um, you know, like people, um, I made a video about how dog trainers laugh at the, um, at the flexi leash or the, um, what do you call that? Yeah. The retractable, the flexi retractable leash. Right. And, um, I always, my comeback to that is, well, it's good enough for Ivan Balabanov. He's the world champion. (laughs) That's true. So if if he doesn't think it's stupid, then I'm, I'm okay. using one. Yeah. But, um, just not letting your dog sniff. If you keep your dog on a heel mm-hmm. the whole time you're walking your dog, and it doesn't really matter whether it's a German Shepherd or a Great Pyrenees or what it is, mm-hmm. um, 90%, not 90, but 70% of your dog's brain is for his nose. Yep. And it's just so unnatural for a dog not, you know, he's stuck in the house all day. There's nothing new to smell. And then you're going to go for a walk and you're going to keep him in a heel the whole time, not let him sniff anything, mm-hmm. you know. That's just like torture. Sure. You know, I mean, that's just, that's not fulfilling for any dog. Yeah. Um, so what's let that? him use his nose. He's using his brain. He'll get yeah. tired, but he'll get tired in a good way. Sure. They'll get tired either way. I believe they'll get tired if you keep him in the heel because it's so stressful, it tires sure. them out, but that's tiring them in a bad way. Yeah. It's non-fulfilling. But if you let them sniff a lot, then they're going to be tired, but they're going to be fulfilled. It's like a content, happy tired. Yeah which is going to give you much better behavior. What do you think the balance is, right? Because the, you know, I, I think there was a book that came out, you know, in, in the last couple of years that was talking about different things we could do to elongate our dog's lives and provide better fulfillment and stuff. And that's where I think the, the, the sniffy, they call it like the sniffy walks and stuff like that really started rising in popularity, right? But the problem mm-hmm. I find myself in is we have clients come in that are like, you know, we either read this book or read this thing that talks about how sniffing walks, you got to be doing sniffing walks with your dogs to fulfill them, et cetera, et cetera etc. And they try to go down that route and do that. And their behavioral issues just get worse over time because they have no control over the dog still. So now they're allowing Mm -hmm. the dog to make all their own decisions by giving them the breaks to do these sniffy walks. And it's just getting worse because they're making bad decisions and we don't have a way to influence them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what's, what's the balance of providing that without shooting yourself in the foot of now I just really have no control over my dog in a really busy environment or at the park or whatever it may be. Sure. Well, I think um, this is where, um, you know, it's, it's like anything else. Uh, really it's, it's complex and we don't live in a world that does well with com- complexity. Everything's a TikTok video nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, if you, if you start, and it's like anything else. If you build a foundation, assuming, let's say, you get a dog as a puppy and not an older dog or a rescue, um, if you do everything generally right, not you don't have to be perfect again, but if you do a lot of things right as that puppy is going through different stages, 
Um, you know, just little things like one of the first things I'll ask a client is, um, you know, about a, a, a young dog or a puppy is um, which rooms in the house do you allow them in? And I always get a blank stare and they go, what do you mean? And I go, well, you don't allow them to run through the whole house, do you? And they go, yeah. <laughs> and I already knew that they were going <laughs> to, how they were going to answer the question before I asked it. Because I can see from the dog that, you know, there's no structure, there's no leadership, there's nothing. But there's little simple things people can do. Um, and, and you know, as balanced trainers, the other side tries to portray us as, you know, the bad guys, or they, they try to portray dominance and alpha and all this stuff as evil, and you're, you're mean to the dog, and you're aggressive and dominating the dog. And that's not what it is at all. They misrepresent what that is. Because if you look at the dog world, if you look at the, the leader dog, he's not beating up on the other dogs, just the opposite. Yep. He's just got the calmest, most confident energy, and the other dogs are following him willingly, not because he's forcing them to or something. But a little thing like, um, you know, with my dog, uh, when he was a puppy, I took a couple of rooms, you know, two or three rooms away from him. And I didn't do it by fencing him off. And I didn't do it by yelling at him. I didn't say a word. All I did was when he tried to walk into, let's say, my office, that was one of the rooms I didn't let him go into. When he tried to walk in there as a puppy, I just stood at the doorway and just used energy, spatial pressure, whatever you want to call it, and said, no, this is not for you. Mm -hmm. You don't come in here. And he understood that right away. Dogs are not stupid mm -hmm. if you speak to them in dog. And um, later on, he could be getting the zoomies, zooming around the house, like totally out of his mind. And if he came toward that doorstep, he would just slam on the brakes because he knew he was not allowed to cross that threshold into that room. Yeah. And um, when you do a few things like this, um, there's no question on who the leader is or, you know, it's uh, the other big simple mistake that they make most dog owners is giving commands that they can't enforce. If you give a command and you can't enforce it, then your dog knows he can blow you. You've just trained your dog to blow you off. Yep. You've trained your dog to, I don't have to respect this guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or this girl. Yep. So um, it's as simple as I'm not going to tell the dog to sit or to come, or whatever command it is, unless I have a way of backing it up to make sure that I can follow through and he doesn't get away with not doing it. Because you're always training your dog. Yep. Most of the time, people are training their dog, you know, to, to not uh, obey. Yep. <laughs> but they don't realize it. So, so getting back to so the original question, obviously, you know, what's the balance of giving the dog the freedom out on the walks, obviously, without shooting yourself in the foot? If I put him in these situations, I give him the freedom and I have no control. Is what you're saying, you know, during the dog's life prior to putting them in that position to like be free and make all their own choices in those areas that you establish some degree of control so that, you know, if you do. Yeah, there's always a degree. Like, for example, when I say I let my dog make all of his decisions on the walk. Yeah. Um, he doesn't make all of them because. I'm not going to let him run out in front of a car and get hit. Yep. But um, I just mean that I let him, you know, like if he smells something interesting across the street, he'll tell me that he wants to cross the street by sitting down. Yeah. He'll just sit down and look at me. And I'll go, okay, go ahead, cross the street, Taboo, and we'll cross the street. But, um, you know, obviously you can't do that if you have no control over your dog. Yep. 
So you've got to do that first. You've got to get the um, relationship fixed um, so that you're not worried about, okay, who, th who thinks they're the boss here? If that's a concern, then you're going to have a hard time letting your dog run around with a 25-foot flexi lead like I do. Yeah. Um, another great thing about those leads, by the way, is you know if you're old like me and you can't jog with your dog, what I can do, when he stops to sniff, I just keep walking, and I get 25 feet ahead of him. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he marks that spot, I start walking as fast as I can away from him. He jogs up. Yeah. So then he'll go zooming by me. <clears throat> And he's got 25 feet to catch me, then 25 feet to get ahead of me. Yeah. And he's very polite. He knows exactly how long the leash is, so he sure. stops when he gets to the end of the leash. Yeah. Thank God, because he's a lot stronger than I am. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, I, he gets a, about 100 feet, probably, because I'm walking at the same time, yeah. of jogging. And every time he stops to sniff, I give him a nice jogging opportunity. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, it's, it's different with every dog as far as finding a balance. Um, but the, the, the main important thing to me is, you know, getting that relationship with the dog. If you don't have the dog's trust and you don't have the dog's respect, and that's the thing, it's, it works both ways. Like, I can trust my dog. Yep. I mean, this may sound nuts, but um, I'll go into, like, a Home Depot just for fun. And I'll, I'll, I usually don't walk him on a flexi leash if I'm in, taking him to a restaurant or a Home Depot or something. I usually have him on a regular lead. But once in a while, I'll put him on a flexi leash, and I'll let him walk about 10 or 15 feet out ahead of me because I know he's not going to jump on anybody. I know he's not going to attack anybody else's dog. So I can give him that freedom. That's It's a stupid thing to do, admittedly, but it's fun to watch people's reaction when he turns the corner by himself because, you know, I'm, <laughs> Yeah. behind them so nobody sees me sure and they just see this thing that can eat them come around the corner they think it's a polar bear yeah it's kind of funny <laughs> yeah definitely. their reptile brain kicks in for a second because it recognizes that can kill me yeah. <laughs> so so it's interesting right so but then they see a sweet face and they relax you know so i'm not scaring anybody too badly yeah so so I'm I'm in like total agreement with everything you're saying. Like obviously, like we talked about the the way we the way we live with dogs is so flawed currently. And and that's a lot of the reason why we're having so many problems with our dogs, right? And that's the reason why dog training is booming as an industry right now is cuz as the world shifts and becomes more dog friendly, you know, now these people that already have a bad relationship with their dog are going more places with their dog that they have a bad relationship with and they're exposing mm -hmm. them to new triggers and things are compounding and just getting worse and worse and worse. Right. So, so right. the, the thing is in a lot of these cases, right. The solution, you know, is, you know, we look at like, well, like hindsight's always 2020. 20. If we established all these rules when the dog was younger, before they had all these strongly ingrained habits, things like that, you know, you could really live a very conflict free life with your dog and have them be unbelievably well behaved and just just guide their behavior as it as it arises. Right. And, you know, us as trainers, like, let's say I get a dog in for a board and train. Right. I don't you know, this dog doesn't have any associations of me or, or what I'm going to allow them to do or not allow them to do. So I'm basically starting green with them again. Or you as the new person coming into the house doing your sales pitches, right, for the encyclopedias. That dog has no prior associations of you, so immediately they realize you're different, right? You're not fighting any of these habits, right? But, yeah, I call it the dog daddy advantage. You know how dog yeah. daddy blows oh, sure. people's minds because he, 
takes these dogs He's from people and the dog calms yeah, yeah. down in like two seconds. Yeah, that's the immediate association, right? Like they have no association. It's not a magic with trick. They just don't know him. Yes. He doesn't have any baggage with yes. that dog like the owner does. Exactly, right? So that's kind of what I'm getting at with this is, you know, mm -hmm. to a lot of owners that would listen to this, they would think, oh my God, like, it, you know, it sounds so easy. When you put some of this stuff into practice though, you know, once this stuff becomes habitualized to the dog of how they behave around the owner, you could start to make these shifts but you're not going to see as dramatic or as fast of results with things, right? Uh, and in some cases, like, the dog will still continue to push you around even with some of these changes, right? So so when you're dealing with a dog that has these really strong, strong bad associations with the owners, you know, what sort of complications do you see on the root of working through this stuff? Well, let's give the owners some hope. Let's explain to them that dogs don't live in the path. They do. They, do, they are very habit-forming and very... Um, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, routine, they're very routine oriented. They get sure. into a routine. But the fact is, if we train the human, which is what we need to train, and change the human, um, then the dog is going to change quickly. It's not It's not going to, you know, live in the past or be impossible to get past that, that, that issue you're having. But that's the hard part. Of course, most humans don't want to change. You know, they're they're lazy or they're busy or they're they think they know it all. You know, sure. Yeah. I have a different perspective because even though I've been, in my opinion, I've always been working with pet dogs for the last fifty years. Even though I wasn't always a dog trainer. Sure. Because most of the time when I was in dog training, I was doing in-home sales. I only did the encyclopedias for a few years, but I also did lots of other in-home sales. So. I see something you guys don't see as dog trainers, especially successful dog trainers that have lots of customers. You're seeing the portion of the population that's coming to a dog trainer. Mm -hmm. That's very different than most of the population. Ah, that's a good, that's a very interesting perspective. Most of the population doesn't think they need a dog trainer. Yeah. You and I would certainly think they need a dog trainer when we would sure. see how awful their situation with their dog is. But they think that's just the way their dog is, and they're just going to live with it. They're not going to take it to the shelter. Most people won't, luckily. They're not going to hire a dog trainer. They're just going to live with it. Yeah. And you know, I could, you know, just it's it's sad. I could give so many examples, but yeah. Um, so elaborate on on so that perspective though, right? Seeing the clients yeah. that aren't hiring dog trainers and are just either okay with the dog's behavior or just don't think that there's any chance of it changing or whatever it may be. How does right. that shift the way you look at working with your clients? I'm sorry, what was the question? Yeah, so so seeing that, right? Seeing the people that are 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 not hiring the dog trainer, right? How does that mm -hmm. perspective shift the way you either look at or work with your actual clients that are hiring you? Well, it doesn't really change the way I work with, with, with my clients, but it just makes me realize um, that, that we're living in this, you know, I, again, I call it the pet industrial complex. It's a combination of dog trainers, veterinarians, big dog food, the three, the three big companies that own all the dog food brands. Yeah. Um, the um, the shelter rescue big retail shelter rescue systems, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's PETA, SPCA, Humane Society, sure. none of these people really want anything to change because they're all making a whole lot of money the way things are. Yeah, I would agree mm -hmm. with that. And so they're never going to change. It's like a, it's depressing <laughs> when you look at the big picture. Yeah, <laughs> as far as dogs are concerned, the dogs suffer, and these people make a lot of money, and nothing ever changes. But um, but as far as someone who's 
who is coming to me or, or hiring a dog trainer to get some help, um, what I would do is basically just an investigation of what is your life like? What, what do you do with your dog now? What can we change without freaking you out too much or going too far to where you're just going to give up and, and get rid of the dog? Yeah. What's realistic besides the obedience training um, what's realistic that we can change, whether it's how much you walk the dog, whether it's uh, learning how to be calm and teaching your dog to be calm instead of always just affection, affection, affection. Yeah. Um, there's lots of things, I think, to give people hope. And I think this is where, um, whether it be, you know, that Zach George guy or or this Robert fellow that you were going to talk to. Sure. Um when they attack somebody like the dog daddy or somebody like yourself, um, they miss the point that what the dog daddy does is he gives people hope because they see that the dog doesn't have to be the way they've already always seen it. Sure. I agree with that. Like I was watching one of his um, seminars yesterday that he just did in New Jersey. Yeah, I saw that. Mm-hmm. And there were, there were two great moments in that seminar. One was where the guy said um, – when, when Dog Daddy said, your face is full of fear, the guy with the, the livestock guardians, the big dogs. Yep. And the guy said, yeah, but it's, it's not fear for me. I'm, I'm afraid for you. Mm-hmm. And he didn't understand. I, I don't even know if Dog Daddy did a good job of explaining it to him. But he, the guy didn't understand. It doesn't matter why you're afraid. The dog doesn't care why you're afraid. He just knows you're afraid. Sure. Mm. So you're not calm and confident. That's all the dog knows is that something's wrong because yeah. my owner is not calm and confident. Yeah. So um, the other great teaching moment in that seminar was the lady. Remember the lady that said, told him, this dog is very dominant, very alpha? Uh, I didn't actually watch the video. I just saw he posted it. So oh, Okay. Well, if you watch it, it's yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty good. Mm-hmm. So Dog Daddy takes the dog away, and in two seconds, you can see this is the opposite of a dominant dog. This is a... Yep. A very, very not dominant dog. Yes. It was mm. kind of hilarious. Yeah. But um. But yeah, you know that. That's why I would, even though I may not agree with all of their techniques, or um, I don't think any two dog trainers ever agree on anything. Sure. Um. Or or everything. We we agree on most things, but we don't agree on everything. Everybody's sure. going to have their little um preferences. Sure. But um. But just the fact that he shows people that this dog doesn't have to be like this. Yeah. Even though it, a lot of it's like you said, just because it's with a new person. Sure. And that kind of freaks them out. So they're going to kind of chill out just because like, well, who's this guy? Yeah. But, um, but then he starts training the human, which is where I'm coming from. That's what we need to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We need to stop selling the lie of convenience. That, yeah. Oh, dogs are convenient. You don't have to know much. You don't have to do anything, but just love them. And yeah. Give them kibble and they'll be good. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, you know, if I was king king of the world for a day, what I would tell people is most people should not have a dog. Yeah. That would not be very popular because then all of us would stop making so much money, whether it be dog food companies or dog trainers, we'd all be, or half of us would go out of business. Yep. But the fact is most people are not capable or willing to meet a dog's needs. So why should they get one? Sure. Yeah, you know that's not a popular thing to say as a dog trainer. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not right, and and I would like to dive into that topic a little bit because sure, it's my favorite topic. <laughs> yeah, you know it's an interesting one because uh, on one end of the spectrum, 
I would probably agree that a lot of the dogs that come into our facility, it's like I look at the situation and I'm just like, damn, like, you know, whether it's the environment that they live in or the temperament of the owners or the temperament of the dog or the breed of the dog that they got, like, it's just a, it's a bad combination. You know what I mean? Yeah. You've got your work cut out for you. You yeah. realize it right away. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a bad combination. It's like, this is going to take a lot of finagling in order to make this. But work. you're miracle canines. So you can work miracles. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so, so we'll see that a lot. Right. And, um, good name for a the, dog trainer. the easy answer to that would be, yeah, like you probably shouldn't, you probably just shouldn't own this dog, right? Or you're probably not ready to own a dog yet. And you know, that's again, that's the easy answer of like, okay, cool. Like, let's say emotions were out of the equation, right? They were like, oh, okay, you're right. I probably shouldn't have this dog. And then the dog goes to somebody else and they don't have the dog anymore. And then the dog lives with, you know, Rich or David or freaking Josh here. And <laughs> the dog is living fine and being fulfilled, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Right. Um, but then the other end of the spectrum is I see those situations over and over, over again. Right. And with a little bit of adjusting and getting the dog to meet the owner a little bit, you know, you know, kind of meet him halfway and the owner to meet the dog, you know, halfway and figuring out some routines and systems that are going to work in order to provide maybe not again, the perfect life for the dog, but a life where the dog isn't constantly stressed out and is getting fulfilled and they could do more things with them. And the owner enjoys the dog. The dog enjoys the owner. Um, I just see, over yeah, and over. I think, uh, let me interrupt for a quick second. Yeah. I think a lot, a big hurdle is just, a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Once you give them a little bit of hope, yes. a lot of owners will actually start getting more motivated when they 100%. see it's actually going to work. A hundred percent. That's the key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. So I guess then, you know, getting back to the hope side of things, like, you know, I look at it from the lens of, yeah, with some guidance from a professional, right? Or with some guidance via, you know, getting hope through YouTube videos and learning stuff by watching your videos, my videos, stuff like that, that they actually can change a little bit. The dog can change a little bit and they could live a great life. So, you know, the, the, I guess from that end of the spectrum, I, the, the, the conversation of like a lot of these people just shouldn't have dogs has always kind of just rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. Does that make sense? Well, let me, let me, uh, let me uh, extrapolate on that a little bit, which is sure. when I'm talking about that, I'm not really mainly talking about the people that are hiring dog trainers because those people are showing that they actually care enough or realize that something's not right yeah. and they're looking for help. And I applaud those people. Mm -hmm. And many of them are going to end up much better off if they get a you know decent dog trainer. Yeah. But again, I'm talking to the, because I have this different perspective than dog trainers who yeah. Because all you see as a dog trainer is all these people that are hiring you. Mm -hmm. These are better people than the people who are not hiring you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because most people, and I could just, you know, I. by the way, I don't tell anybody in my neighborhood I'm a dog trainer because I don't want them to know. Yeah, sure. But um, um, I could just go through my neighborhood and point out all these people that are never going to hire a dog trainer and their dog is absolutely miserable. Yeah. And it's very poorly behaved because they've driven it crazy. Sure. And that's what I'm really talking about is that, um, you know, we need to um, somehow get more information out because the pet industrial complex, as I call it, it really feeds on ignorance. Yeah. And, you know, you saw with COVID, all these people that had never had a dog went out and got a dog. And it's like they thought they were getting a stuffed animal. Yeah. They had no idea that it had any needs at all. I had a client recently and they started telling me, what they've done. And I'm like, like you said, I'm like, holy cow, boy, I got my work cut out for me now. I'm going to need to work a miracle here because 
you know, I mean, we even have the puppy mill stores are very prevalent here in Florida. Yeah. People are still buying dogs from puppy mills from pet stores. Yep. And if they do that, the dog's pretty doomed because that shows that they know nothing. Yeah. About, I mean, I knew 30 years ago not to do that. But anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's okay. So, so then. I just want to point out that, you know, I'm not picking on the, the people who are hiring dog trainers because yes. they're doing the right thing and yep. they're probably a step above all these people that don't even look for help. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying with that. So even the people that don't hire the dog trainer, do you think that in their mind they feel like they're providing a good life for their dog? Absolutely. I'll give you an example. Um, this has haunted me for, it's been a few years, but I still remember this one dog. This is when I was uh, still doing in-home sales. Mm -hmm. I'm about to retire from that and hopefully do this off-grid dog thing full-time pretty soon. Nice. And I went in this lady's house. It had nothing to do with her dog. I was just there for the, the product uh, construction job we were selling. And um, she had a greyhound, sweetest dog in the world. And the whole time I was in there talking to her, this greyhound was bouncing up and down like a pogo stick, not jumping on me or anybody, not jumping on anything, just bouncing straight up and down. Mm -hmm. And it was so sad. I started asking her questions. How much do you walk your dog? Well, I don't walk the dog at all. She's too difficult. We just let her out in the backyard. And, um, you know, I forgot. What was the question? I'm sorry. I'm getting seen now. Yeah, no, it's okay. I, I was just asking, like, if you think that those people think they're providing a good life for the oh, dog. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It occurred to me, she, she had this dog for nine years, mm -hmm. and she had no idea there was anything wrong. She thought it was absolutely, that was just the way her dog was, that it was just jumping up and down. Like, it, it'd be like if you went to an insane asylum and the guy was sitting there beating his head against the wall, just sure. methodically hitting his head against the wall. It was the saddest thing I've ever seen. And um, she had no idea there was a problem. She wasn't going to hire a dog trainer or change it. She'd been, she'd been living with that dog like that for nine years. She loved the dog. The yeah. dog, I'm sure the dog loves her. That's not the problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so, yeah, those are the people that um, distress me is that they don't know any better. They just think that this is the way their dog is. And they see their friend's dogs misbehave. So they think it's just the way dogs are. They just misbehave. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a. No, they've actually been getting very good at living with humans for thousands of years. We just forgot how to live with them. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And, you know, even a lot of the, that behavior in particular, right, or a lot of the things that dogs will do that we equate to just being quirky or cute or funny or whatever it may be are really signs the dog's giving you that they're neurotic, right? They're in distress, right? They're frantic, oh, yeah. you know? Really sad. And if you look at, like, when you're in a state of, you know, neuroticism, like if I'm really frantic or anxious about something, you, you think about, like, how awful that makes you feel. And then just like take that emotion and just put it on the dog and just, just assume that they are feeling that exact same way as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's tough to, it's tough to get out of. Right. So yeah, I guess mm -hmm. I, I guess then th that, that makes sense, you know, clarifying not the people that are looking for trainers, but the people that are, um, you know, not looking to improve their situation. Cause nothing frustrates me more than when I see in the industry, you know, trainers talking about owners that are hiring them for help, right? Or calling them for help. And listen, they might be doing everything wrong. I might be able to look at their entire situation and be like, this is a disaster, right? But they've actively made the step knowing something. I'm not wrong. turning anybody away. Yeah. If they're asking for help, I'm, yeah. I'm going to try to help them for, uh, for, for no other reason than the dog's sake. You yes. know? 
Exactly. Even if it just helps a little bit. Yeah. You know? So, so I agree with you. So, uh, let's do this. Let's look at the. Let's look at the side. And that's also, I think, that's a, um, an escape clause, or a, you know, the the force free folks mm-hmm. will say that a lot because it's their way of getting out of the fact that they can't help the person. Yeah, I'll tell you. I think I see it more in the balance community, though. I, I think I see it more with uh, with balanced trainers that like to talk about how like wow this this own, this is just a terrible owner they're doing everything wrong blah 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 you know oh really they they do it as much too I think it's even more I think it's just yeah it's probably just a sign of incompetence just in general as a trainer and and listen I'm the first yeah. to admit just like you know I'm sure you and, and many others think is that there there's so many issues with you know trainers in the balance community having no understanding of a lot of these types of things we're talking about right mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at, you know, you get a new client that comes in, we're getting back to like associations and how, you know, this can be very challenging for people to get past sometimes, you know, making the adjustments <laughs> they need to make, getting the dog to make the adjustments, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and it's mm-hmm. session number one, you know, it's a totally out of control situation. What are some of the <laughs> first things that you look at? Like you sit down for that first hour with them, you know, what sorts of mm-hmm. immediate adjustments are you going to have, are you going to have them make um, to start gaining gaining back some kind of control over their house and, and, you know, getting themselves in a better position with their dog. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's going to be different every time. That's where you want to really go into a deep dive on, you know, who are they? What's their lifestyle? Uh, what, who is this dog? How long, you know, is this a dog they got as a puppy? Is this a rescue? Yeah. Um, is it neutered? Is it, you know, how old is it? And just generally find out what are they doing with the dog now? And then what what realistic ways can I tweak maybe their lifestyle a little bit um, that's going to help them with their relationship with their dog? But um, it's pretty easy uh, in most cases to, to be a big help because most of these people are doing so many things wrong. And again, you don't have to fix everything perfectly because the dogs are very forgiving. If you just get it going halfway back in the right direction, mm-hmm. they're going to see a huge difference in their dog. Yeah. Are, are there any like uh, like commonalities you see frequently where it's like, you know, pretty consistently session one, these are two adjustments I'm needing to make or whatever it may be? Yeah, what we were talking about earlier, that layered stress model. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to look at health because the first thing is, um, you know, is the dog got a physical issue? Yeah. Like I've... Um, like that's not going to really happen in our household because my wife spends an hour a day brushing my dog, mm-hmm. and she's familiar with every inch of his body. So if he gets a pimple he didn't have yesterday, she's going to notice it. Yeah. But most people don't massage their dogs, and um, they're not going to even be aware if the dog's got something bothering him, and maybe you know he bit somebody because he's in pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once you get past the physical, then you're going to go into the lifestyle. Yeah. Um, you know what are you doing for this? particular breed that's breed specific to, to help him enjoy life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is he getting enough exercise, both mental and physical? And um, and then usually one of the, the obvious, most easy, obvious things is the clarity, number three, which is helping the owner communicate better with their dog so the dog knows what the heck he's asking for, yeah. you know, what he's supposed to do. And with the clarity, like what... Um what are some of your first steps to reestablishing clarity? Well, I'll just sort of like, um, a lot of times I'll just have the owner walk the dog and see, you know, what they're doing. And then you'll see all sorts of things they're doing wrong. Yeah. The biggest 
thing you see is that they use the leash to try to control the dog. Yeah. Mm. And thank God I don't do that because my dog is about five times stronger than I am and sure. he'd be controlling me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you got to use the leash to communicate with the dog because it's much easier than trying to teach him to speak English. Um, you know, you can just very subtle things. Like when I, I was talking about when I would take Taboo through Home Depot and let him walk out ahead of me just to kind of have fun and freak people out. Um, if I see something coming down the aisle and he's 20 feet ahead of me, I can just barely move the leash a little bit over to the right mm-hmm. and he'll feel that on his shoulder and he'll, he'll it's like I can steer him yep. with you know no pressure, no control over him just because he feels me pushing the leash handle in this direction, he'll, he'll veer over there and let the person pass by on the left. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, you'll see all the mistakes people are making, and then you'll figure out, okay, these are the ones that I can easily teach them how to correct, and then they'll see an improvement, and then they'll get that hope, and then maybe we'll, we'll you'll make some headway. Yeah. And do you use uh, do you use any sort of training tools? I think you mentioned in that one comment, like you're not opposed to obviously prongs and e collars and stuff, but do you use them yourself much? Um, not nearly as much as uh, as you guys. Um, I'm not against any of those tools at all. In fact, I think in some instances they're fantastic and almost the only uh, uh, or by far the best solution. Mm-hmm. But um. Yeah, I'll I'll see what the the pet owner's using, and then I'll usually you know of course most of them have a harness, yep, which is why they're coming to us. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's pretty funny how they sell those harnesses, um, and then um, just depending on on the on the dog and the situation. But I like um, slip leads. I like. Um, even I'll even use um, drawing a blank. What's that color called? Like a dog or a martingale or martingale. Yeah, I like yeah, martingales, yeah. Um, but a prong on certain dogs I think is is definitely awesome. Um, and I, I wouldn't use an e collar that much, uh, except for like a dire situation to interrupt the dog's brain or to. Um, I would definitely use it to, to solid up uh, like off leash yeah. stuff, but um, I think a lot of people use them way too much, and it's more of a suppression thing. Whereas I'm more about let's not suppress the behavior. And this is the one thing I do agree on with that Robert Hines guy that uh, sure. you were you were going to talk with. By the way, he'd be an interesting guest um, because he's basically questioning the whole yeah. Uh, quadrant thing and Skinner and all that. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But um, he should actually go on with Ivan and talk about that. I think. <laughs> but um, you know, Ivan likes to get into all the science a lot. Yeah, yeah. But um, what was I talking about? Uh, you're saying the e collars. You think you're not a big fan because you think people use them too much. Oh yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. Saying, I I try to avoid the suppression as much as I can and go more with the figure out what's causing the behavior we don't want. Yeah. And actually address the cause, mm-hmm. the root cause, instead of leaving the root cause there and the dog's always going to be in that bad state that's yeah. causing the bad behavior, but we're just going to suppress it by, um, 
you know, making it so aversive for him to do that behavior. Yeah. So I try to take a holistic approach, right? I do all of the above. I'll still yeah. do correction. I'm, you know, I, I'm absolutely for correcting dogs because yeah. it's biology. Sure. Whether you call it mother nature or whatever you want to call it, you, all you have to do is watch some dogs. Yeah. And that's how they learn. That's yeah, how they communicate, mm-hmm. you know, through correction. So anybody who's against corrections is a little cuckoo. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when you get into like the suppression and stuff like that, I think, you know, the way I've always looked at it is you can get the best of both worlds sometimes, you know, like mm-hmm. in, in many cases, you know, we could we could look at the underlying reason of why the dog is rehearsing the behavior. And I think that's very important, particularly when you're dealing with like emotionally charged behaviors, right? So, uh, you know, something that the dog is doing because they're fearful, anxious, right? They're in some sort of very high, uh, high elevated emotional state of mind. Obviously, suppression by itself, you're going to be constantly fighting that very, very strong urge for them to want to do it, right? Um, Absolutely. You know, in, in those cases, it's like, okay, well, maybe we could teach the dog, all right, I know you're stressed right now but you're still not allowed to rehearse A, B, C, or D. We're going to suppress that a little bit, but let's also Mm -hmm. look at why you're stressed, why you're anxious, and decrease that a little bit as well, getting to your layered stress model of if we could bring that down a couple of notches on the spectrum, you're going to be less likely to want to rehearse that behavior in the first place. I guess my issue in a lot of cases with people who preach, we only try to address the underlying behavior, right? And we don't add in any sort of uh, suppression to the behavior they're rehearsing is that, you know, let's look at like fear or anxiety, right? It, in a perfect world, we would get a dog, you know, and, you know, have them live this life of never being fearful or never being anxious and never wanting to rehearse those things. But I've always viewed that as just not real life. Like there's going to be things that stress the dog out, right? There's going to be things that, uh, you know, make them uncomfortable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like, let's say your dog gets, you know, mildly stressed when people come over and their default when they get mildly stressed is they try to maul that person. It's like, well, you know, yes, I want to help them not be (laughs) stressed in that situation. Right. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you mauling this person because you're mildly stressed when they come over is also not an appropriate response (laughs) for you to have in that situation. You know what I mean? So I try to look at things where it's like, you know, is this a is this a, a reasonable response, you know, like to your to your stress or a reasonable response to your fear, or is it completely unreasonable? And that will dictate my approach of how firmly I lay into some of the suppression of the behavior while simultaneously looking at the underlying cause. But then you have other behavioral issues like you know, jumping up and getting food off the counter, right? Like, obviously, the underlying reason of why they're jumping up and getting food on the counter is because there's food up there, right? They want to get the food, and they've probably successfully been able to get the food a handful. I can give you some other reasons. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's, let's let's get into them. That's going to get uh, real deep into the weeds. Though, yeah, but... let's do it. Well, back to the before I go to that, the other thing you were saying when they maul somebody. Sure. Um, and I would agree that. Uh, I'm absolutely going to, and I, I'm always going to use a correction anyway, just to interrupt the behavior pattern or the habit, or you know, let them know that's not acceptable anymore. But I'm also going to now real focus quick, more re- on training the re- human. Real quick, so you just mentioned obviously you're going to use a correction, obviously right there, in order to interrupt the behavior pattern. Do you view that as a form of suppression? Of course. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. Okay. What I'm saying is, is I don't, I don't think that we should just do suppression. Sure. Um, when, 
it's the, the reason the dog feels like he has to attack the uh, intruder sure. or the or the friend coming over is because of the way that human has lived with that dog. Uh, yes, sure. I, I think so. That's we, what I'm going to try to change. Yeah. Yes, um, but I'm absolutely going to use sure and teach the human how to use corrections and, yes. and everything else. Yeah, I but think I'm we, also going to address we agree the there. fact yeah, that yeah. the dog needs leadership. He needs structure. He needs to feel. And here's how you can, you know, you've got your softer dog owners who went, oh, I don't want to hurt his feelings, or I don't want to correct them, or whatever. The way I sell that is I explain to them, well, what you're doing now mm-hmm. is you're making your dog feel very insecure. Sure. You're causing your dog to live in insecurity and fear all the time. So you can guilt trip them into, okay, so maybe it's okay to, to fix this. Yep. But um, and, th- and those are the people that generally give the least leadership, so that's why the dog's sure. where he is anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to work on that. You know, and that's how realistic is that? It's going to vary from person to person. Yep. What they're capable and what they're willing to do, because most people are not calm, confident people. You know, they're not natural leaders, most sure. people. Yep. Mm-hmm. But you can teach them to be a better leader for their dog, and it makes a big difference, you know, if they're willing to do it. And the great thing about dogs is they can fix us. Yeah. You know, like when I get upset and I'm yelling at the TV because I'm watching politics, <laughs> my dog will come over and be like, hey, dude. Yeah. What's up? Mm-hmm. Are you okay? Chill out. Is everything okay? You know, he'll, he'll remind me that, you know, I'm, I'm starting to lose it. Sure. But, um, but this, yeah, like grabbing food off the table, that's a combination of, you know, um, you know, your dog's not respecting the household because you didn't set any boundaries or any structure or leadership. Mm-hmm. Also, it's a lot of these dogs are starving to death all the time, even though they're overweight because they're free feeding them kibble. Yeah. So they're eating too much kibble, but it, the kibble's got zero nutrition in it that the dog needs. So the dog knows that he's still hungry, even though he's overweight and overeating. He knows his body's not getting what it needs. So he's trying to grab your T-bone steak off the counter Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, my dog has never had any interest in any of our food. And if you tried to hand him human-cooked food or kibble or anything, he'd just turn his nose. He'd go like, ooh, that's not food. I don't want that. Yeah, Where's my good raw stuff? Don't don't you see that as just a, like, a called a, a personality trait of dogs? Like, I know, like, for example, like, my my ex-girlfriend's dog, I used to joke all the time that this was the dog that you could leave a freaking pizza out on the on the coffee table and he's not going to touch it if you leave the house for eight hours you know mm-hmm. and he was on the same diets and and feeding routines and training routines and all that kind of stuff as all of our other dogs but you know my other two are are food psychopaths like they'll they'll eat anything that's put in front of them forever and ever for right. a of time you know what i mean so d- don't you think that's well, again, it's a, a holistic thing? approach because it's going to be different with every case and yeah you can only do what you can do mm-hmm. but if you if you're starting out with a puppy and you do this stuff right from the start, sure. you're sort of eliminating a lot of the pitfalls that can happen. Yeah, I get what you're doesn't saying. doesn't mean that everything's going to ever be perfect. Nothing yeah. ever is. But it's going to be very easy to live with. You're going to have a very, yeah, you know, um, fun life with your dog because there's no stress. Yeah, I'm, I'm more so. I take my dog everywhere. Yeah. And, like, I was out the other day and somebody, oh, great Pyrenees, we have one, too. Yeah. It was a beautiful day here in Florida out on the patio of the restaurant. I'm like, well, where is he? Well, he's at home. Oh, that's a shame. Why didn't you bring him with you? Well, 
he he doesn't behave well. Yeah. How can he when he he gets no practice? You never yeah. take him anywhere. So. You know, my dog wasn't good at going places the first time I took him someplace. Yeah, you know? I'm I'm more so referring to just the point you made about you know a lot of the dogs looking for further like nutrition and stuff like that through the counter mm-hmm. thing. Like I'm sure there's an extent of that of of you know they're they're yeah, we could just call it like you know a lot of dogs if they're fed an appropriate amount of food they're going to be kind of a little bit hungry at all times, which means that they're going to be scavenging to some extent, right? Like. No, not all dogs. You don't think so? Not if they're um, nutritionally fulfilled. And again, you're right. It'll vary from dog to personality, to dog, from dog to dog. But um, I believe if your dog is not, you know, basically starving to death as you overfeed him, which is what most people in this country are doing, Mm -hmm. um, he's not desperate for nutrition. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But... Um, you know, but it's also the the whole structure respecting. You're not allowed on my counter. Are you insane? Yeah. Have you lost no, your I, mind? That or I my sofa or whatever you don't want anymore. That yeah. I would completely agree with. Which is it's more of an underlying thing of like, you know, we call it the the the. I think I heard somebody say it's like the whack-a-mole effect. I think Jeff Gelman said that or something like that. <laughs> is is yeah, as, as, like you, Jeff Gelman as you start gaining <laughs> as you start gaining back control over your house, it's like let's say you start setting boundaries with rooms they're allowed in. You start allowing boundaries mm-hmm. with who they're allowed to jump on, you know, what mm-hmm. furniture they're allowed to get on, stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. interestingly enough, like other things that were behavioral issues start just kind of dissipating, you know, without actively addressing them. Like let's say you have five <laughs> behavioral issues and you address the first two, and then the other three just kind of go away because it is an overall respect of the house and respect of you thing as far as why do they feel entitled to just take whatever it is that they want, right? Absolutely. I'm a big believer in that. And it's it's a snowball effect either way. If you're doing everything wrong, mm-hmm. then it gets harder and everything gets worse and worse. And if you're doing just most, you don't have to do everything right, but if you're doing several things right or most things right, the dog will meet you halfway and you'll have a really good dog. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. So then getting back to the original thing that kind of sparked that conversation, like let's say we take off for a second the, you know, they're they're looking for further nutrition, which I'm not disagreeing with it necessarily, but I think that there's 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 better examples of why the dog would do it in general um, that would, you know, be more consistent across the board, right? Yeah, well, that, that's that's just a added another added sure. thing. That's not the main reason. The main reason is, like yeah, you yeah, said, yeah, yeah. lack of respect and Hey, I'm just a curious dog. I want to see what this is. Yes, right. But if you look at that individual one, they're still accessing that food on the counter and their motivation behind wanting to do it, right, is going to be the fact that there's food on the counter that they want and they're going to get that food, right? Now, the Mm -hmm. underlying reasons of why they would feel uh, inclined to not do it would be obviously the rules that we set overall in the house. The fact that they realize that the handler is going to hold them accountable for their behavior, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately the way that we're going to get the dog to not rehearse that behavior is not going to be necessarily fixing the quote unquote underlying problem because the underlying problem at its core of that specific behavior is still them getting the food off of the counter. Right? So in that I example, you'd be relying uh, solely on the suppression respect issue. Yes, but this is where we get into so the relationship conversation, which was the original comment that you left, right? Relationship, I feel like, especially when you get into respect and stuff like that, ultimately is going to be coming from a place of the rules and boundaries you're setting and enforcing, right? Partly. It's, Part, it's, partly. A, it's, it's, it's more complex it, than just that. It's, 
Um, you know, it's it's an, it's an overall. I like to use the word holistic because it encompasses everything. Sure. So, like, um, there's a lot of different ways to get respect and lose respect, but um, that's one way, which is enforcing the rules, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the only way. Sure. And one of the ways you, the, the best and most important way to get respect from your dog is you have to respect the dog. He has to get respect from you. Sure. Same thing with trust. You know, people say, I can't trust my dog. You know, well, he's never going to trust you if you can't trust him. Mm-hmm. So but you have to give we, them the opportunity to fail. So to that succeed. we could so that we could guide their behavior through the rules we enforce, right? Right. So then it gets back to still, you know, like the trust thing back and forth, that still gets to the overarching thing of the rules and boundaries that we're enforcing ultimately with our dog that then put us in a position to trust the dog. Because what you're saying is like, we have to put the dog in a position to fail. And again, correct me if I'm wrong. You got to put the dog in a position to fail so we could guide their choice and then have them establish better choices, right? So really- Yeah, it's like that person that won't take their dog for a walk because he's hard to walk. So so what I'm getting at here though, right, is- He's not good at it because you never practice. You have to practice to get- Sure. So, so the trust side of things, the way that I look at it then, right, you said, obviously, we have to trust the dog, but obviously, how can we trust the dog if the dog is consistently proven to us that they make bad choices? Well, then the solution is we put the dog in a position to make those bad choices so we could guide their behavior better, right? Which isn't, in my eyes, isn't trusting the dog, right? That's trusting my abilities that I have that I can guide the dog's behavior when they make improper choices. Then, as I establish that the dog is making better choices because I've guided their behavior better, then I could start to trust the dog ultimately. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Like I said, that's one of the uh, important ways, but there's lots of ways. Like One of the best ways to build trust with a dog is to be consistent. Sure. How many of your customers are consistent with their dogs when they come to you? Sure. No, I agree with you completely with that. So the dog has no idea. He's like, this guy's a flake. Mm -hmm. One minute he says one thing, the next minute he says the other. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're inconsistent, your dog can't trust you. Your dog can't trust. Well, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So obviously we earn that trust by being consistent, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And consistency comes down to consistent rules and boundaries that we consistently enforce, right? Another way you earn his trust is um, what very few people do is, you know, practice being calm. Sure. Because it's true what some people say, that dogs follow calm, confident energy. Mm-hmm. It's so easily illustrated. You can see it. I once saw a video that was amazing. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this. I think I might have found it on it might, I don't don't hold me to this, but uh, you're familiar with Learbird? Yeah. I think I might have found it on Learbird, but it was a just a short video of eight or nine Malinois puppies. Mm-hmm. And they, what they did was they took, they were like eight, nine weeks old. They were very young puppies. And but they were already establishing different personalities among the litter. Mm-hmm. And they put, they took like three of the puppies and they put a, a high value um, like a bone with some meat on it in with them. And so they were fighting over it. And this one female puppy, I think was, um, more aggressive than the other two. And she was growling and attacking the other puppies when they would try to get it away from her. And she was possessing it. And then they put like three more puppies into the little uh, room or whatever it was. And 
It, it ended up getting stolen by another puppy, got the bone away from her. Mm-hmm. And then finally they put all eight or nine of the puppies in there and, and this other puppy ended up with the bone and he didn't growl when the other puppies would come up to him. He didn't even look at him. Mm-hmm. He was totally calm. He was the, you know, dominant, the alpha, whatever you want to call it. But he already at eight or nine weeks of age had that energy that all these other puppies respected. And again, we as humans are not always calm and confident people. Some people are. Some people are natural alphas. My dad didn't know anything about dog training. Guess what? He had no problems with his dogs. Yep. Yeah. Our dogs didn't mess with my dad. Yeah. So the calm, confident energy thing is interesting also, right? Or or I think you mentioned at some point a little while ago, um, you know, the the fear. You said in the dog daddy video, you said, I see the fear on your face or, or whatever it may be, right? And I, yeah. I've always looked at that. that. That's another one I think I have probably a, a unpopular opinion on, which is I don't necessarily <laughs> think dogs will have this innate sense of you're nervous or you're scared or, or whatever it may be. I think it's much more that when we get nervous, when we get fearful, when we get anxious with our dogs or we get uh, frustrated, you get the, you're raising your voice, yelling, stuff like that, right? It's not Absolutely. that that's inherently wrong, I think. I think the problem is that when we get fearful, when we get anxious, when we get um, frustrated, we tend to let that cloud our judgment of the things we're doing and we lose clarity from it. You know what I'm saying? I would agree with you there, but I would also say that dogs um, absolutely react differently if if you're calm. For example, um, you'll see all the people walking by with their dog, you know, yelling, sit, 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 you know, and the dog's not, or mm-hmm. the dog's barking, they don't want to bark, they start yelling at the dog, stop, stop, stop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the dog is thinking, oh, we're both barking, great, let's bark some more. Mm-hmm. I've never had a problem with my great Pyrenees with barking because they're known for that. That's why I've read somewhere that they were the most abandoned breed percentage wise. There's not as many of them as pit bulls or something. Yeah. But percentage wise, people just that makes sense. Drop them off. They can't handle. Them. Yeah. They think they're getting a, a fluffy, big fluffy white dog, and then they can't handle the barking. But you know what we've always done when he alerts us to a threat, which is what he's doing, what he's supposed to do when he barked is we've praised him. We've stayed calm. Mm-hmm. We've acknowledged the threat. We'll, you know, cause he doesn't do this. Awesome. He only does it when there's really something. Cause again, he's a balanced dog. He's not sure. out of his mind. Like a lot of dogs are, but he's not constantly barking, but he does bark when he should bark. And we'll just uh, praise him and say, you know, good job. Okay. I see the threat and, and it's, it's over two or three barks and he's done. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you get excited or, mad or angry, the dog's not going to respond to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but don't you think in a lot of those cases, like you use the example of somebody yelling, ah, sit, sit down, this, that, right? And and then obviously mm-hmm. you haven't had that issue before, right? Don't, don't you think it's because that person in that moment when they're frustrated, they're frustrated and their clarity is shit, right? The, sure. things, they're, the things they're asking of the dog and how they're backing up it or reinforcing it are, are non-existent at that point. So, yeah, the dog genuinely sees everything coming out of your mouth as just nonsense, and there's no reason to pay any attention to it because there's no inherent value behind any of it, right? 
And then, you know, the, you mentioned the, um, you know, the, the, when your dog will sometimes bark out the window, the calmly going over and, you know, acknowledging it and him stopping. It's Mm -hmm. ironic. We just read on the podcast the other day, we were, we were talking about, uh, Jan Fennell's the dog listener. Uh, I don't know if Mm -hmm. you're familiar with it or not, but, uh, it's a, it's a book written, I think in the early two thousands and she has a lot of very similar views. It sounds like to, to you and to, to a lot of the world of, of looking at things from like a holistic kind of way. Right. And she talks a lot about, you know, solving reactivity when somebody's at the front door and stuff as creating a ritual of, you know, thanking the dog and acknowledging the fact that they saw the threats and that should inherently be stopping the behavior, right? And no, see, none of this, none of this stuff is going to work on its own. Yes, it's not that simple. Yes, it's a complex issue: dog behavior, the human dog relationship, and sure. the bad behavior problems. So. If you're doing everything wrong and your dog is completely yeah. insane and it, your, your friend comes over sure. and the dog starts losing it yes, and you just praise him, he's still going to kill your friend. I understand. Yep. You see what I mean? <laughs> no, I, I agree with you, right? So, if you don't have these other things in place, then that's not going to work. <laughs> sure, sure. So so using your example, right, because obviously you just, you just explained a situation in which you use it. Like you have a good relationship with your dog, obviously. You have respect from your dog. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So, so why is the sequence of when he starts barking out the window and you go over and you tell him thank you and praise him, why is that working in that moment? What's going on in the, Why? Yeah, what's going on in the dog's head that that ritual is what stops his behavior? And so I sh- actually, he, one last caveat: is your yeah. goal to stop the behavior in that moment? Is your goal that you want him to stop barking, which is why you do that? Well, that's a fringe benefit, but my main goal is I want to, uh, you know, give uh, what's the word? Satisfy, fulfill the dog. I want him to know, hey, good job. You alerted us to there's a guy in our yard. We appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, here's another thing I do along the same lines. When the Amazon man, because again, this is a great Pyrenees. This is, you have to adjust this to what kind of dog you have. Sure. But this is a, a livestock guardian, flock guardian. They bark away threats. That's their job is yeah, to I bark understand. away yes. wolves and bears, right? So when the Amazon guy comes and drops off a package on our porch, yep, we have a screened in porch that he'll, he'll leave it on. I'll wait until he's had time to get out of the little screened area. Mm-hmm. And then I'll open the door. So Taboo, who's barked, uh, you know, barked at him a few times because you heard him coming on the porch. Mm-hmm. I'll let Taboo see the guy leaving. As he's barking, he sees the guy's ass walking away sure. toward his truck. Yeah, bingo. That is so fulfilling to a great Pyrenees that, hey, I chased away that third. That guy left and sure. I did my job. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's just a little thing. It takes two seconds, but it makes him very happy. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know. So, but um. So yeah. So this getting back to the sequence though, barking out the window. I want to. I want to really. I want to get into the weeds of this a little bit, right? So he's sure. barking out the window. Obviously, like I said, you want to let him know, hey, good job. You, that biologically fulfills him barking away an intruder, right? Stuff like mm-hmm. that. And you know, as an owner, if that's I mean, dogs are supposed to do that. Even any dog is supposed to sure alert. The, the family or the pack or whatever you want to call it, the, hey, there's a possible threat here. They're just doing, that's why people, when they react the wrong way, they start getting mad and screaming at the dog and telling them to shut up. Yeah. So, you know, so, you know again, I, I would say everybody kind of has their own rules with certain things. Like we're allowed, let's say that's, you know, that's what he's designed for. That's what we want to allow him to do, obviously. Right. So mm-hmm. we're going to allow him to do that. Right. 
So you want to, your so your signal in approaching, you're reinforcing, you're letting them know, hey, that was good, you did a good job, right? So mm-hmm. you know, adding reinforcement to that specific behavior. But because that's said, the opposite of what people intrinsically think they should do. They should think they should tell them not to do it. Well, yeah, I mean, it, again, it gets gets back to like what your rule is. Do you want your dog to rehearse that behavior, or do you not want your dog to rehearse that behavior? Well, well th- there I'd stop you and say. Everybody should want their dog to do that because if you're telling your dog it's not allowed to bark when a stranger knocks on the door, then that's not that, that's you, sh- you shouldn't have a dog. <laughs> dogs for thousands, millions of years probably have been, you know, that's what they do. Sure, you know whether they're out in the wild or so, in a pack of wolves or yeah. whatever. So you know they're going to alert the pack that hey, there's something going on here. Sure. So and so, um, so yeah, there's no way I would. Tell the dog you can't bark now. I don't want him barking to where it starts to annoy me and the neighbors. Exactly. You know so, that's why with our dog, two or three barks and he's done, and we're very happy with that. Yeah. So so uh, yes, right. So obviously the problem most people have is that it gets excessive. They bark at every freaking thing that goes by. Obviously, right? They mm-hmm. don't yeah. stop barking. They can't get any work done because they might be working from home and the dog is just barking all day long, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Right? The baby frustration, sleeping. hysteria, yeah. there, there's, there's a lot of issues that can kind of come with that. So, so let's say, right? Like, let's say, okay, we're okay with the dog giving us an alert bark, right? For you know, the, mm-hmm. the right when the person arrives at the door, the package gets delivered. Yeah, I would hope everybody would be okay with that right? just for the dog's sake. Sure. So we'll, we'll we'll say everybody's okay with that, right? But we. Need Needed mm-hmm. to cut off at a certain point, right? So, is your signal, right, or your ritual that you're doing at that point? Then you're approaching. You're telling them, "Good job. That was great." But that signal also means, "Hey, it's time to stop now." Is that accurate? Would you say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we've we've acknowledged it. You don't need to alert us anymore because we we see the threat and we're aware of it. Yeah. So and. Um, so where I've gone with this is when I hear a lot of people talk about the thing, and, and I'm not saying you're saying this because I understand where you're going with it, but when I read, like, again, like the dog mm-hmm. listener, or I've seen other YouTube videos of people discussing, you know, a similar philosophy of thanking the dog biologically fulfills them and, and, and you know, ultimately shows them that we're now in charge of things and, and you don't need to, to take this any further. And also you're staying calm, so the dog, it's, it's easier for the dog to stay calm. Sure. In other words, he sees that you see it. By the way, you're the leader. This is not going to work if you're not the leader. Mm-hmm. And you're staying calm instead of like, stop that. Stop barking. You know, you're getting mad. The, 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 the dog, you're just barking too. So, oh, he's barking. I should yeah. keep barking. You're giving, you're just barking. You're giving, it doesn't, do anything, doesn't accomplish anything. You're giving a calm signal that elicits that. That's fine. I like what you did right there. It's time to stop right now. No different than I would give a sit command or a down command or whatever it may be. Right. Mm -hmm. But my argument has always been that the thank you or you could you could go up to walk up to the dog and say watermelon in that moment if you want. Right. Because the words obviously are are generally irrelevant. The importance is then at that point how we ultimately back up and enforce that boundary if the dog were to not. So let's say let's say your dog, because you've established respect, you don't run into this issue a lot. But I'm sure that at some point over the course of the last however many years you've owned this dog in that moment, he's at some point been like, well, maybe I want to bark a couple more times, or maybe I don't want to stop at this point or whatever it may be. And the key thing is probably at that point when he tried to make that decision, because we put him in a position to make that decision, that you've told him, no, you still have to stop right now. Is that accurate? Uh, Not that I recall it was possible. Okay. It's never been an issue. Sure. But then we've never tried to suppress his barking. 
Mm-hmm. And we've also got a dog that's now living in you know massive frustration and hysterical all the time, which you hear all the time. These dogs that bark all day long. It's really sad mm-hmm. because you know that they're half crazy. Yeah. It's not a normal behavior. It's a totally normal behavior to bark when somebody invades your yard or knocks on your door. But then it should be over with. Yeah. It's it's not normal just to bark all the time every time the wind blows or yeah. you know, that's that's a dog that's living in frustration or not a good place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't But think yeah, I mean if if you know, if he was doing I don't know whether that's come up, but if there's ever anything that comes up, I'm going to tell him to no, that's you know. Uh-uh. Yes. We're not doing that. Sure. Yeah, you you interrupt it. You you tell them, hey, at this point, however it is that you enforce your rules and boundaries, you enforce your rules and boundaries then at that point, right? So, sure. So my, my biggest overall point here, I guess, you know, and, and, and the reason why I think this conversation is interesting is because I... I Getting back to like, you know, one dog trainer is always going to agree with 90% of the other, but not 10% of the other, et cetera, et cetera. I think the balance sure. I always I always try to strive is, you know, okay, so I, you know, in my material that I put out for clients do tend to focus a little bit more on the, you know, the individual behavior, not necessarily the whole picture, right? Of like, hey, mm-hmm. this is why this dog is rehearsing this individual behavior in this exact mm-hmm. moment. And this is how we could both address the underlying cause of that individual behavior and then obviously Obviously, uh, you know, suppress any remaining stuff that we need to. And then obviously with our clients, we get into the weeds of, you know, how they're living with the dog and assessing like when I walk into your house, like, you know, well, this is not good. This is not good. This is not good. We need to make all of those different adjustments. Right. Um, but I do. I mean, that's why you have a successful business, because you can sell that to the average dog owner. Yes. Who just wants to give you money and have you fix his dog. Yes. Yes. But obviously, you know, we would good on you for. You know, trying to get in some yes. work on the human as well while you're at it. And that's, and that's the biggest thing I always tell everybody is that's you know, where it's at. anybody that has a successful dog training business knows that, you know, like you could only you can only fake it for so long, right? Let's say we were only going in and just playing whack-a-mole and just stopping behaviors but not addressing the underlying causes, we would right, consistently right. be getting shit results. You know what I mean? Like at some point sure. it's just not gonna work, right? And then the owner's gonna get right back to where they were behaved before and et cetera, et cetera, right? Um where, you know, a lot of trainers I see, they focus on the relationship side of things a lot, right? Which is, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds like what a lot of your big shtick is as far as when you're working with your clients is focusing. Well, on- I try to focus on everything depending on the situation. Sure. But what I, I just feel that, you know, this is what's kind of left out a lot is the human. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because that's hard to sell. Yeah. People don't want to hear that they've they don't got want to change, change their lifestyle. Yes. Most people aren't going to do it, yes. so it's not realistic. Yeah. So you have to be realistic, and especially when you're running a business. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. the good news is if you get your foot in the door with them and you yes, and you fix that one thing, um, then, then maybe they're going to listen to you on some of the other stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think in many cases when I see people talk a little too much about relationship, though, right, they leave out the fact that relationship is a stab. Like we could, you know, we could talk very holistically about a lot of these types of things and and all the changes we have to make as a human are very important. But all of those changes without the understanding that those changes are only really going to work if you have clear boundaries and clear ways to enforce those boundaries, it all eventually kind of goes out the window and vice versa, right? from my standpoint, if I only focus on here's your boundaries and here's how you enforce your boundaries, but we're not focusing on the relationship side of things, ultimately, long term, you're not going to have all of the results that you're looking to get as well. So I'm trying to kind of bridge that gap here, I suppose, and look at 
a lot of the things you're saying and say, okay, this is all really, really important information. I don't think there was anything that you said over the course of this podcast that I was like, oh, I disagree with that or, or whatever it may be. Yeah, and vice versa. I think it's, we both agree on. Uh, it's all very. Just the, uh, yeah. the question of, of, um, of um, you know, the emphasis, which one you're going to emphasize more. It, Exactly. Right. And I think when you get into things, right, it's that's where it's going to kind of come down to the individual client that you're working with, I suppose, as far as what information they're ready to hear and where, you know, when we're dealing with lots and lots of clients, like you were saying, like, yeah, we do need to kind of sell the the results, I should say, you know, of like, hey, this is what your dog is capable of, how dog daddy, you know, he highlights, hey, look at your aggressive dog no longer being aggressive, your anxious dog not being anxious anymore, or any of those types of things. Mm -hmm. But obviously, the bigger picture picture solution is going to be much, much deeper, but we still got to get them to, to get their foot in the door. And really what I would like to do, and my goal, I would say, is to reach out to a lot of those people that you were referring to who aren't hiring dog trainers, right? Mm-hmm. And get them to realize that their life could be so much better with their dog through selling the, because those people don't want the complex pitch. You try to give them the complex pitch, they're going to be like, fuck you. I don't want to, I don't want any part of it. Right. Yeah, if we could right, sell them, if we could sell them a little bit more of like, look at this is the North star of how amazing your life could be with your dog. And we could get them to get that foot in the door. And then we could kind of ease them into some of those changes that they're going to have to make. Then we could twofold accomplish things of one, all the people that already know they need help. They're getting their help, right? We could sell at whatever way we want. They just know that they need help and they're going to listen to whatever it is that we tell them to do. Right. But those other mm-hmm. people that like you were saying, maybe they should currently because they don't think that either there's hope for their dog or they don't want to put in any work or whatever it may be, we don't necessarily think that they should own dogs. Well, maybe if we catch them early enough with a little bit easier of a sales pitch, we could help more dogs and get less people out of that category and ultimately have our our dog world a little bit more thriving of a place. Does that make sense? Yeah, that would be my hope, Would be which is why I started yeah. uh, Off-Grid Dogs, which is to, you know, one way or another, get information out to people. Yeah. And uh, that's the hard part because you're battling this giant money-making machine that wants them to stay ignorant. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So Josh, what do yeah. you think? You're sitting quiet over there. I know. I'm just, How's it going, Josh? It's going well. Sorry, I'm just a sponge today. like it, Soaking up information. Yeah, yeah but... I need to get my Ed McMahon. You guys yeah, yeah. old enough to know who Ed McMahon was? No, no, probably no, I not. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> That's the most famous sidekick in the world. That was Johnny Carson's sidekick for Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Decades. Oh, Mc, McMahon? Are we talking, is this related to Vince McMahon? No, no, no. no. All right. Different, well, different I think that's his name, Ed McMahon. Yeah. You can Google it. He's real famous. Yeah. He was with Johnny Carson for probably 30 years or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, so I need I need to get uh, a partner or a sidekick or something. I, I noticed. Um, you ever watch one of Beckman's podcasts? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He's his got YouTube a guy. guy sits with him. He's good too. His his guy that he has is he's he's very engaging throughout his podcast episodes as well. Like he he contributes yeah. quite a bit. He grows on you. The first one time I watched him, he really annoyed me, but then I got kind of got used to him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I think I think Beckman has been doing a good job with this podcast lately. I've listened to a handful of his episodes. It's it's interesting. We did we did a couple of videos just talking about, you know, I've I have some opinions on his training and some of the things that he does. Um, but mm-hmm. uh I, I I have enjoyed uh some of his podcast episodes as of late. So Yeah, he's uh he's very successful. He's um 
his podcast, they actually don't even really talk about dogs that much. I think they that's why I like it. It's uh, talk about anything. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's mastered the algorithm. That's what I need to do. I'm old and, and dumb and I don't, yeah. I never even got on social media until a few months ago. I went, like, my goal in life was to die without being on <laughs> any social media. But unfortunately, because of this, off-grid dogs thing i'm gonna have to try to learn how to fight the algorithm yeah it is what it is you know the the constant game of social media is always a headache so yeah trust yeah. We're, we're still trying to figure it out too so yeah so. Uh, we're probably doing better than i am believe me. <laughs> awesome well listen rich do you have uh you got anything else you want to add in before we wrap this up no um no i just did, i enjoyed always enjoy conversating about dogs yeah and um i think um you know most common sense people can agree on the important stuff. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. A lot of it's a lot of the stuff going on in the dog training world and everything's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think the best thing about this is, you know, when you, when it's just in the comments, you don't really get to flesh out each side's opinion, you know, and just sitting here, you know, we've talked for almost two hours now and, and you can see that there's, multitudes more that we agree upon than disagree and and i i think that's been our thing for a a while is that we we love to see how much we actually have in common whether it it, more than the disagreements you know yeah sure big fan and hopefully learn something from each other because that's what i'm always trying to do because yeah i don't know everything but um you know it's just as you get older you get a perspective that you didn't have when you were younger yeah and um I just sort of see the big picture. Yeah. And um, I had a funny idea. You're welcome to steal it from me if you can pull it off. <laughs> you know what my idea was? What's that? To, to sort of skip ahead from being a nobody to getting this information out big time. Uh-huh. You, you know, this is the biggest, this is going to be political. So half your audience is going to hate this idea. All right. Let's but you know it. who's the biggest dog lover you've ever heard of? Who's that? Tucker Carlson. Oh, yeah. This guy, if you watch any of his interviews where he's usually when he interviews people, he doesn't talk. He just yeah, lets yeah. them talk. But when he's actually being interviewed and he's doing the talking or if he's given a speech, yeah. he's never given a speech in his life without mentioning his dogs. Really? Huh. And he gets it. In fact, I took I took a 60-second clip of one of his speeches, and I, I made a short out of it because he talks about, um, you know, what why – Certain people have well-behaved dogs, and other people he understands it totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he goes, he goes like hunting and walking with his dogs every day. But I'm thinking that guy gets more followers or viewers than Zach George and Dog Daddy combined times ten. Oh yeah. So if I could just get him to interview me for an hour, <laughs> I could get a lot of information out there. Yeah. To a lot of people that would otherwise never hear it, you know. Yeah. Right. You got to pay him in like a lifetime supply of Zin. I think he's real into that stuff. <laughs> is that uh, nicotine? Yeah, yeah. He's. I think he's always talking about how he loves that yeah. Zin stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's an idea. Maybe we can bribe him. Yeah, right. But I don't think we need to. I think if he realized what was going on, and he'd do it because he he loves dogs. Sure. Okay. You know, yeah. but he understands. He's not the typical dog lover that has no clue. Sure. He actually gets it and would understand what what we're saying. Yeah, I like it. Well, like I said, Rich, so, I, I appreciate you being on. Um, so thanks are for you, having me. It was are, you a off, off, are you primarily just on YouTube or are you on other platforms as well? 
Uh, yeah, so far I'm just on YouTube and Facebook, but I haven't even mastered Facebook. Yeah. So when I get around to it, because I've been real busy, I'm still not retired yet. Mm-hmm. When I get around to it, I'm gonna, my next thing would be Instagram, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Start posting. Put your opinions yeah. out there. I mean, this is like you were saying, this is, these are good messages people need to know. So if you could figure out a way to break it down into really digestible you know, pieces of information people can grab onto, um, you know, there shouldn't be any reason why you can't get a little following going pretty quick. Yeah, well, I hope so. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, bit of damage. We will. Uh, All right, guys. We'll talk soon. Yep. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.